Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I'm so excited that you're here. The Plan B CRNA podcast is the only show made specifically for nurse anesthetists who are exploring options outside of their traditional career paths. This is the place to expand your mind and your goals as we uncover new ways to produce side income together. Join me for some honest, unscripted discussions with other CRNAs who are transforming their financial lives. This episode is brought to you by On Call Capital. On Call Capital is dedicated to educating CRNAs and other healthcare providers about investing outside of the traditional stock market. On Call Capital also provides opportunities for you, yes, you, to create passive income and generational wealth while also lowering your taxable income through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that right now so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. And now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. Today is one of our special guest episodes. And our, our guest today is also pursuing his own plan B outside of his traditional career field. Currently, Chad Freeman is a commercial pilot for a major airline. And in order to gain freedom, he got into real estate so that he could take control of his income and not just rely on a corporation. Specifically, Chad has dived into mobile home parks. And as a result, he now offers passive income options for others who aren't satisfied with their own W-2 salary. Chad, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the intro. Yeah. So um, I'd love to to hear a little bit more about you and how you moved from, I mean, I'm, you're still a pilot, but how you've moved into real estate. Okay. Yeah. My story starts with my, uh, I guess my parents, both of them were into real estate investments. And then in college, I knew becoming an airline pilot that I did want to have something else on the side, at least for stability, because I knew I was getting into a pretty unstable career path. Uh, and then I, I kind of had a, a picture of what the airlines were going to be in my head was a little bit different than reality when I actually hit the workforce. So it took quite a, quite a while to um, become comfortable in the airlines. We start out making absolutely no money being dirt poor and working your butt off. And so real estate started to be pretty appealing to me. And my first, uh, my first piece of real estate was running what's called a, like a crash pad is what we call them. And it's very common around airports to have people commuting in with the need of cheap place to stay. That'll be there you know, a couple nights a month or something. So that's what I started. And I thought that uh, I had heard this rumor about a ferry going into Manhattan and I was new based in uh, the New York area. So I bought this, this house in this terrible neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, there's a ferry going to go in. It'll just revitalize the neighborhood. And then I'm going to make a bunch uh-huh. of money. So I'll... <laughs> <laughs> how'd that it work? Didn't, it, it, it didn't, but I got a good education. I dodged a bullet. So it actually worked out good, but okay. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know what due diligence meant. I didn't know what the difference between speculating and investing was. And luckily I was smart enough to at least know I could have income to cover the mortgage on this property. And I was part of the whole loan fraud and didn't even know it at the time. So I did a no doc loan to get into this house and they did a HELOC to cover the rest. So I got into this brand new home with 3% down. Oh, wow. Just one bad decision after another looking back. Yeah. I, I always felt uneasy about this. And so I started getting education and I took a six month long investing class and realized what a terrible 
investment I had gotten into. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, um, used their aggressive sales techniques and got out of this place just in time, right as the market was starting to crash. And I was learning enough now to start recognizing what was going on. So I'm like, Oh, I really need to get out from underneath this thing. So I was able to get educated, just lost a little bit of money with transaction costs and whatnot. I actually sold it for more than I bought it for, but that just, that was my luck. And then I got into a good investment. I found a good purchase with a solid property, the cash flows, and I learned how to invest. And then down the road, I knew I wanted to get into commercial real estate. I just didn't know what. I knew I had to cut my teeth in residential. And so fast forward, now we're at 2015 or so. And I I found this uh, mobile home park boot camp through a buddy of mine. His mother was investing as well. And they so they bought a mobile home park. And I asked about this course. And if anybody's interested in this, it's Frank Rolf. You can find him at Mobile Home University. And the guy's just such a wonderful mentor and he'll just teach you everything he knows for incredibly reasonable price. But so I took his book knowledge and then it took me a while to get in and start purchasing mobile home parks. And so that's brought us to where we're at today. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, and, and mobile home parks, they, they kind of seem to be the talk of the town. Like I hear everybody wanting to, to get a piece of this action when it comes to investing. And so not everybody knows how to do that. So, so what is it that you did to start your journey into mobile home parks that, that you, maybe you learned it from the university or maybe you learned it by trial and error? Um, how did that get, get going? Well, listen to what Frank had to say, you know, and it took me a while and we got some parks under contract that we backed out of. But at the time when I was going into this, there was even more negative stigma associated with this industry than there is today which I still run into today. And I I like that because it means like what you said, they seem to be the talk of the town. Real estate people are starting to see the returns and the economic setup that's going on today. And so people are starting to get into mobile home parks and there's some big money coming in, like with BlackRock spending $550 million on this two years ago. And so this whole thing is changing and we see the opportunity today, but there's still that negative stigma about the trailer parks and it's, People don't know. They don't understand the business. And if they saw the economics behind it, what's going on, they'd be very excited about it. So it, there's still time. We're still kind of like the, not the early adopters at this point, but not everybody knows about this. So there's a lot of opportunity right now, which yeah. I'm about it. So uh, what is it that's that's about mobile home parks that is different from other real estate types? I mean, obviously they, they don't cost as much, but but what is it about them that makes sense from an investing perspective? I think the whole entire economic setup and what's going on with the economy today makes it a great contrarian investment. So they tend to do better in poor economic times. And then there's so much demand for affordable housing. They do good in good economic times as well, especially with inflation and the prices, single family homes helped us out with COVID too, because it's automatically social distanced. We had a lot of people coming out of apartments. But if you look at the entire setup of the industry, this is what was very appealing to me to get into it. So you have large barriers of entry guaranteed by the government because nobody wants a, a trailer park built in their backyard because they've mm. still got this negative stigma associated with it. And then the governments, they put out more social obligations than they collect in tax revenue from mobile homes because let's say you got a, you know, a family living in a mobile home with two kids. They only collect 
revenue on that mobile home as if it's a vehicle. Mm. I did not know that. Yeah, it's just registered like a vehicle. It's not considered real estate as personal property. Huh. Um, And which gives me to another part of this that I love. We're renting dirt to landowners or to homeowners. Sorry. To homeowners. Yeah. We don't do maintenance on properties. We, We do maintenance on like our roads and our infrastructure. We maintain that. But the homeowner is actually responsible for their own maintenance. We don't rent homes. And these are very sticky tenants. The average tenant stays for 14 years because they own their home there. It's very expensive to move these homes. You can purchase a $30,000 mobile home that's in pretty good shape. It's a nice home, but it's going to cost now over $10,000 to move it. So typically it'll just turn over ownership or we'll help them move, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. purchase the home from them, resell it for, we just want to break even. Um, Besides that, there's a diminishing supply right now. Because governments won't let new mobile home parks be built. Yeah, yeah. And then it's very undervalued. If you just look at the lot rents back from the 1950s and 60s and adjust for inflation today, you get around $600 or so for what fair market value should be. But we're at 280 for the average national average. So more people are coming in and buying these, bringing these properties back to life and then bringing the lot rents up to fair market value. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of value add that way. It's also incredibly fragmented. The entire sector, there's only 10% institutionally owned right now out of the roughly 44,000 mobile home parks that exist. And that's because all these things were built back in the 1950s and 60s by solo entrepreneurs. So today, the typical park owner is going to be mom and pop that built these or inherited them. And now they're baby boomer generation, typically wanting to retire. So this is turning over. Mm-hmm. So we see a big asset turnover and we're trying to jump on that too, because once these things are sold off and it's consolidated and all this big money scooping these parks up, this opportunity is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, and I didn't realize how fragmented the industry was. I mean, you know, you, I kind of had an idea, but 10% is really, really low um, yeah. compared to, you know, say multifamily or, or some of these other um, real estate types where, it's just so much higher. So that tells you that there is opportunity there um, mm-hmm. to come in and, and produce more efficient operations and, and whatnot. So um, you talked about some, you know, some of those differences. So for an investor, what are you know, some of the, the risks and benefits that are associated with investing in, in these parks? Um, you know, what, what kind of returns can you expect and, and what are the risks that you're taking? Okay. The risks involved, I would say, it's a it's a pretty simple business. There's not a lot of huge pitfalls, but you do have to be careful buying in the correct location. And like any other piece of real estate, you've got to buy it for the correct price. You can't overpay because it's going to eat up your returns. And then there's a few pitfalls with the types of utilities. We want to avoid certain types of utilities, hmm. uh, such as lagoons, which is literally, it's just a big cesspool. It's a pond full of sewage. Okay. Not quite sure what the EPA is going to think about that in the future, you know? So if there's a lagoon, we won't deal with it. And then if you're getting into mobile home parks, another thing that we want to be careful of is wastewater treatment plants. So we tend to shy away from those because if you have one go bad, you're writing a $500,000 check just to start on even little ones. 
So you have to do very good diligence if you're going to get into that and know that that system is not going to blow up on you. Okay. So, so mm-hmm. you're saying if, if there's a, like some kind of a water treatment system on site, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a thing, man. Yeah. You got to deal with the sewage. So it either goes to the city or you got a private utility through septic water treatment yeah. or a okay. lagoon. Or so, a lagoon. Oh my gosh. And there's okay. some other things like with sewage lines, there's this product called Orangeburg, which is absolutely terrible. It's basically cardboard with wax on it. That's going to disintegrate and disappear on you. So you need to know going in. So basically it boils down to really good diligence. Okay. Okay. So, and, and that's, you know, kind of what you alluded to in the beginning when you started investing, you just didn't even know what that was. So <laughs> yeah. you've obviously learned some things along the way. Um, so this is, this is fascinating. And then, um, you know, and then I guess the, the, uh, the other part of that question was what kind of benefits uh, are, you know, investors getting, I mean, we, we're talking returns, tax benefits, all that kind of stuff. Is that associated with real estate and, you know, and, and that ownership or what does that look like? Yeah. That's another reason why I love the business. We typically have higher cap rates and lower expenses than uh, apartments or other multifamily. And there's some other great things I'm seeing, like some build to rent stuff that's really cool right now, but out there, typically I'll put our returns up against almost anything I've ever seen because the lower expenses, like I said, we're not doing maintenance on people's homes. Mm-hmm. And then our cap rates are higher too. And I think that kind of plays into the negative stigma as well. But the the cap rates I'm seeing from reports and brokers, they did lower with the the interest rates going down to zero. So the cap rates have come down, but I haven't seen cap rate compression yet. Okay. So I'm hearing they're softening with the interest rates rising again, but it's a, a typical six to 8% cap rate purchase from what I'm, yeah. what reports and what I know and what we've done ourselves. Okay. So it's a higher return with lower expenses. And then the taxes are really great because our taxes, are, we can depreciate our infrastructure, such as our sewer lines, water lines, roads, stuff like that. That's depreciated on a 15 year tax schedule versus a commercial buildings, 32 and a half years or residential is 27 and a half. So we get a much faster depreciation. So you do 35% that way, 35% of goodwill, which is also 15% depreciation. So I've okay. actually wrote a little article on this and you can, you can show where the numbers I used, I think an investor could make up to 14% or 13 half percent or something like that with tax free because of the depreciation. Okay, cool. Well, and we'll put a link to that, that article in the show notes. Um, I'll get that from you later um, for sure. But uh, now the next thing I want to jump into is, you know, a little bit more about your business that you have. Um, tell me about your business and um, how you've made the move to a fund model uh, for your mobile home parks, you know, what prompted that move? What was it, what's it been like scaling your business? Yeah, uh, we're definitely feeling the growing pains and the amount of time commitment that that takes, but we have a team together that's been very successful with what we've done so far. And then we see the setup today, you know, with the consolidation mainly and, and the turnover from mom and pop selling these assets and getting ready to retire. So I wanted to act quicker. And we thought about just organic growth, you know, like we've been doing, but I want to take the opportunity that we see in front of us today and capitalize on that and then share it with other people as well and treat our investors right. You know, we're looking for relationships with investors that are long-term relationships, people that come back to us and do this again. So 
we want to grow this business to be in the top 100 owners, which is pretty easy to do today because it's so fragmented. You only need, I think, 700 lots or so now to be in the top 100. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and if you look at apartment complex, last time I heard you need like over 70,000 doors to be in the top 100. So it's Yeah. Yeah. That's a big difference. Right. And also my motivation is freedom to, to control my own income fully, which I think a lot of people on this show listening with the plan B is to get outside of that W2 income you get better tax write-offs and it's more stability. And if your job goes away, you can have this passive income. And like Robert Kiyosaki says, I love that guy, put your money to work for you instead of you working for your money. And that's what, that's what got me into real estate in the first place too, is passive investments. But this no longer is a passive investment for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has become my passion and really my full-time job. Fortunately with an airline career, you get a ton of time off. So even when I'm at work, I go get, you know, three day layovers sometimes, and I can get a lot of work done on the layover. Well, that's, that's really convenient. And I know like there are a lot of uh, folks here that work in healthcare and you do get, you know, you may get several days off if you're working 12s or, or even 24 uh, hour shifts, um, you can get some decent time off in between. So it's, it's something that's possible for others as well. So, so Chad, what I, I want to dig into a little bit of this fund model that you have going on, what's the structure that you guys have taken on and how has that uh, benefited you and your investors? Sure. Uh, so what we have open is called a 506C and it's just a waiver from the SEC for syndicators. And you see it very commonly with apartment complexes where you can advertise. So the C, the 506C means specifically we can advertise, but in order to do that, we can only accept accredited investors. But the benefit you get with the syndication versus buying a you know, duplex or something yourself, you get a much bigger piece of the pie, which should help mitigate risk as well. So like right now, if somebody moves out, it's not going to affect my business. But if I have a triplex, that's a third of my income off of that. And then you also get a team of operators. So nobody's calling you in the middle of the night because their toilet doesn't flush. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So this is truly a passive investment. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's um, you know, something I've enjoyed about my own uh passive investments is that I don't have to worry about that. It's mailbox money. It's uh, you know, you 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 put your money in and you just, you know, accept what's coming out. And uh it's it's a lot of fun that way. Because uh, you can focus more on finding those those investments instead of worrying about some of the day to day operations of Absolutely. you know that real estate. So, like most people can't go purchase a you know four million dollar asset. That's a syndication. You can get that or bigger. Yeah, and you have that immediate economy of scale too. Like you mentioned, it's it, you know if you have one or two people move out of your properties, and that's no big deal because you have enough size to be able to, to take that and it, it doesn't affect you. Whereas yeah. when you're trying to scale as an individual investor, you really need to get to, to 10 doors or more in order for that to even begin to, to be a reality. Exactly. Um, now, I want to, uh, to touch on something here. You, know, you, you mentioned your motivations of building this passive income and, and whatnot. Where did that drive really come from for you? Uh, What was it that sparked it for you? 
feeling frustrated with uh, not having control over my own financial situation, my own income and wanting more than what I had. Because you know, like I said, when I got into the airlines, I was picturing, you've probably seen Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Just glamorous lifestyle, flying all over, making tons of money, getting all these days off. Well, it didn't work like that at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, I'm working my butt off. Mm-hmm. When I first got in the airlines, I, I worked more than I've ever worked in my life. And in nine months, this was after 9-11, I got furloughed and hired at a different, very poorly run regional airline. Mm-hmm. But in nine months, I made $7,300 working harder than I've ever worked before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, so as you're, as you're getting up into the majors, it's tough. And today's gotten a lot better with the pilot shortages, wages have gone up. But mm-hmm. at the time, it was just a financial struggle working for somebody else. So I just wanted to take control of that and not look to somebody else that I could, I could have my own responsibility and my own freedom. And then if I didn't want to do this job anymore, I had that option. Yeah. So what advice do you have for other people who are looking to, to start their own real estate journey? Um, what are some, some tips and tricks that you've learned along the way that you can pass on to others? I absolutely love Robert Kiyosaki and he puts you in the right mindset. So, you know, if you're the, our, I feel like our school system does terrible job of teaching a financial education. So that's where my financial education began was with rich dad, poor dad. Mm-hmm. And he also teaches real estate and all the benefits of real estate and the tax write-offs and tax-free wealth. That's a great book. His accountant, Tom Wheelwright has a great book called tax-free wealth. Mm-hmm. And so start educating yourself and then take action. That's the biggest thing I think is just take action, be willing to go out there and get some education, get a little bit of book knowledge. It doesn't take that much, you know, spend a couple months reading and figure out what you want to do, what area you want to get into and then go for it. If you're motivated, make it happen. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that speaks to, you know, the, the biggest part of this is educating people The you want people to, to build their knowledge base. And then from there, take some action because from there, you're only going to learn more once you take that action. And it doesn't have to be this, you know, you don't have to, to spend all of your savings and dump it into one investment. That's not smart. But, you know, getting started in something and then you're learning from, from that process and, you know, those results and then taking more action on top of that. You know, not letting that kind of scare you off if things don't go quite as you planned, because that's, that's what happened with you is you had some things that you invested in and they didn't work out as well as you thought they would, but you kept taking action and learning from your mistakes. And I think that's why you've been so successful today. So that's That's awesome, man. Yeah. What comes to mind too, with this is knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. The more, you know, better off you're going to be. And I, I think it was Henry Ford was saying something. If they asked him, if all of this got taken away from you today, what would you do? And he said he could rebuild it all because he knows how, because he has that knowledge. And I was saying knowledge is power. And then more of become millionaires off of real estate than anything else in the world. And if you look at real estate, it's like, I think it's 20% of our GDP or something. So the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. And real estate is wonderful because it is a great hedge against it. And it's a great way to build wealth and pay down principal at the same time that you put your money working for you passively and get an income at the same time off of it. So tax write-offs. There's real estate's my favorite thing in the world for building wealth and income. Yeah. 
I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. So um, I, I've really enjoyed our discussion today, and I want the audience to be able to reach out to you if they have questions about uh, you know you or your business or mobile home parks in general. Uh, how can they reach out to you and contact you? Uh, you can reach me directly. You can uh, email me invest at mhp like mobile home park investors.com uh, i'll throw out my phone number if people want to just give me a call it's 702-706-6904 no guarantees i'll answer but i'll try try to get back to you and uh you can check us out on the web too mhpinvestors.com and i'd say check out our investor learning center there's a lot of information in there i've written some articles and a few podcasts and whatnot so that's, that's where you'll find us. And I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in investing with us or just wants more information. I love to share knowledge and help people out on their journey if I'm able to. Very cool, man. Well, Chad, thank you so much for being here today. It's It's been a, a great time with you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion about mobile home park investing. Chad echoed a common theme that I've seen among successful entrepreneurs. They educate themselves first and then they take action. It's a simple concept, really. If you act first, then you probably won't make good decisions when you do act. And if you only educate yourself, then you'll suffer from analysis paralysis. But by giving yourself enough education to get started, you can then learn valuable lessons through the experience of doing. Education and action go hand in hand. And it's my belief that one just feeds the other. The more I learn about something, the more I'm encouraged to go try it. The more I try it, the more I learn and the better I get at it. It's a cycle, like a carousel. It goes up and down and around, man. Okay, yeah, I'm showing my age with that last movie reference, but hey, we all show it at some point, right? If you have questions about mobile home park investing, I highly encourage you to reach out to Chad or check out our show notes. There are some great links in there. That's gonna do it for today's show. As always, stay safe and take care of each other out there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you haven't already subscribed and reviewed the show, I'd be honored if you took the extra time. It really helps to expand our reach and get the word out about the show. If you're a CRNA who is interested in sharing your story on our podcast, I'd love to have you. Please email me at bobby at oncallinvestments.com for more information. This episode was brought to you by On Call Capital. They are dedicated to helping providers like you develop passive income and generational wealth through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. Feel free to check out their website at www.oncallinvestments.com and subscribe to their free educational email series. You can find On Call Capital on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube page where you'll find all of the show episodes along with other educational videos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.